0: This passage this morning is from Luke chapter 14, verse 1 and then verses through 12 through 24. And these are the words of God that are written to you so that you might know who he is and the depths of his love for you. So let me invite you to give attention to these words as you hear them read. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And then verse 12. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come into this service this morning and we come from many, many different places. I know that some of us have had a wonderful Christmas with family. We feel very full. Uh, there's been a lot of joy over the last couple of days and weeks. And others of us have experienced the, the fractures and brokenness of our family. Um, perhaps even some of us spent this Christmas alone by ourselves. Some of us Come here this morning, and we have a deep sense of your nearness to us, of your love for us, of all the things that you have done for us through the person and work of your son, and others of us find ourselves wondering if these things could ever be true. God, you seem as though you are a million miles away, and so wherever we sit this morning, wherever we come from, the many different places, God, the reality is is that we are all in need of your grace, we need to hear from you we need these words that bring life. And so I ask that you would do that this morning in such a way that our lives would be transformed. We pray this through Christ. Amen. It is, it's a real privilege for me to get to be here. This is my second time. I was here this summer. Uh, Katie and I were married in April. And, uh, you know, I said to you then, some, some of you were wondering, what is it like to, to preach in your father-in-law's church? That's kind of nerve-wracking, you know. And I just have to tell you, you know, all the pressure is off this morning. Because it is the day after Christmas. That's my, that's my Christmas present to, uh, to Mike this morning is the day, the day after Christmas is getting to preach. Actually, I, I am thrilled to get to do this because some of you know this, some of you don't, but uh, Christ the King supports the ministry of RUF at Berkeley every month on a monthly basis. And some of you even do that individually. And uh, Katie and I are deeply, deeply grateful. And if you don't know anything about Berkeley, there's three things that I would tell you. The first is this. UC Berkeley is massive. It, is, it, is, it has a ton of people. There are 35,000 people, 35,000 students on this campus. It's, it's, it's like a small city or a big city, depending on where you come from. And uh, it's not just massive, but it's incredibly diverse. You know, UC Berkeley is 50% Asian, 50% Asian. There are people there from all over the world. And then the last thing is this, is that it's incredibly secular. You know, people have all sorts of perceptions and connotations of what Berkeley is like. And uh, it is. There are very few Christians there. I mean, my best guess is that maybe 5%, maybe 5% of this campus has ever really encountered the claims of Christ before. So I'm really grateful for your continued support and love kind of coming back here and and getting to to preach uh, as we do. And this morning... We're looking at Luke chapter 14, and the reason that I chose this passage is because of this. You know, there's, there's so much buildup to Christmas. There's so much buildup. And yet here we are, December 26, the day after, the day after Jesus' birth. You know, and Christmas is all about the celebration of Jesus coming, but the question is, is why did he come? Why did he come? Why is there so much buildup? to christmas why is there so much buildup to the incarnation of jesus what is the point and and the main point of this sermon this morning is this jesus came to throw a party that's why he came and some of you are thinking who is this liberal man from berkeley that sounds really blasphemous let me tell you jesus came to throw a party and i love parties Especially my own, October 4th, if you want to remember that. That's my birthday. I'll take all gifts. (laughs) Jesus came to throw a party. Here he is. He's at a party, he's at the house of a Pharisee, and it's a dinner party. They are dining together. And you know, if I were to ask you this morning, I I love asking this question on campus to students you know, who do you think Jesus is? Describe to me the person of Jesus. And, you know, even in this room, I bet we'd get all sorts of answers. You know, people would say, Jesus was a really good teacher. He was really nice. He was full of compassion. He was loving. Many of you would say, you know, Jesus is the Son of God. He's, He's the second person of the Trinity. You've got all the right categories. But would anybody say, you know what? Jesus was a partier. And if you don't believe me, Read the Gospels time and time again. You know where Jesus is? He's at parties. He is feasting with people. And, you know, he's not just at a party, but he tells a story about a party. This is the parable. It's the parable of a man who throws a feast. He throws a party, and this host invites many, and some reject him, and some come. And so the question is, look, what... what, What is the point of this whole thing? And I've got three points this morning, and they are very simple. That Jesus is trying to teach us, through this party, something about the kingdom of God. Something about himself, and something about how he relates to us. Something about the kingdom of God, something about himself, and something about how he relates to us. And the first thing is this, the kingdom of God is a party. The kingdom of God is a part, you know, parables, that's really the point of parables. When Jesus talked in stories, the whole point was he was trying to teach us something about who he was and something about the nature of his kingdom. And in verse 15, I love this because Jesus, you know, he basically gets a softball pitch. He's sitting next to this man and they're eating dinner together. And all of a sudden this man pipes up And he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, he is not just talking about any meal. He is talking about meal with a capital M. This is a feast with a capital F. It's not just any feast. It's not just any meal. It's not just any banquet that he's referring to. Because in the first century, any Jew who talked about feasting in the kingdom of God was thinking about the great feast this messianic banquet that was to come. And in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6, listen to this. This is Isaiah looking forward to this feast that would come. And this is what Isaiah says. He says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. That there was going to be this 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 banquet, this celebration to come when the kingdom of God came, this huge messianic banquet. Now, let me just ask you, some of you this morning, you know, it, when you think about Christianity, do you think that Christianity is simply about obeying the rules, doing the right thing, being a good person, just kind of doing your duty? Because when you read the Bible, you know what it says? Christianity is about a festival of joy. It's not about duty. It's about a festival of joy, this great banquet that was, that was going to come, this party that was going to come. And the question is, why is it a party? Why is it a party? Listen to Isaiah, the very next verse, verse 7, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people's the veil that is spread over all nations, listen to this, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. And and listen to this even again. Ten chapters later, Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Why is this such a party? Because God is going to make all things new. Do you think, do you ever think that the reason that Jesus came... Here we are back at Christmas. Why did Jesus come? That the reason that Jesus came was simply so that God might secure a way for you to be forgiven of your sins. Let me tell you, Jesus came for that, but so much more. So much more. Jesus came to make all things new. That is what Isaiah is talking about. Death will be swallowed up forever. The blind will see. The lame will leap like a deer. This is exactly what we were talking about at our Christmas Eve service. And I said to Mike afterwards, you stole my sermon. You know, but listen, the scope of redemption is as big as the scope of the fall. It's why we sing joy to the world. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, Jesus came. Yes, so that you might be reconciled to God. But he came to make all things new, that, that, that you might actually feast with God himself in this new creation. Do you see how hopeful this is? I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's incredibly encouraging. Some of you right now are facing death. I mean, this is, this is real for you. You know, I work with 20-year-old students who, who who are clueless about the frailty of their life. But some of you are facing that now. And what this passage says to you is that God is going to give you a new body in his new creation. You know, and some of you are in the midst of deep suffering and deep tragedy and intense tears, and what Isaiah says, and what the last chapters of the Bible say, is that God is going to wipe those tears away from your eyes. That in his new creation, there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. You know, and others of you, I mean, you sit here this morning, and you're like me. You know, there's just massive disappointment with life, there's massive disappointment with yourself, with your job, with your, with your financial status, with, with your spouse. I have a great wife, by the way. With your spouse, with your kids. You know, you're just unhappy and disappointed in everything. And what, what this says is that in God's new creation, there will be no more disappointment because you will have him in a new creation. Listen, the kingdom of God is a party. It is a festival of joy. It is a feast of celebration. And Jesus doesn't just stop there because he's not just trying to teach us something about the kingdom of God, but he's trying to teach us something about himself. Now, I love this because, you know, Jesus kind of launches into this story about this, this host who throws a party and he sends out his servant to invite all these people and what happens? You get these, you get these three individuals who, who reject him, who decide not to come. And you just kind of don't know, who, who are these people? Who is anybody? Who's the host? Who's the servant? You know, who, who are these people who are rejecting him? And then all of a sudden, you get to verse 24, and it's like the lights come on. And Jesus says this. He says, for I tell you. Now, listen. That's a plural you. In other words, Jesus is not telling the story anymore. This is not the host talking to his servant. This is Jesus talking to all of those that he's dining with. For I tell you, it's the beauty of Southern dialect, y'all. I tell y'all, this is what Jesus is saying. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet Jesus makes a massive claim. What does he say? I am the host. I am the host of this party. I am the one who is bringing this messianic banquet. And in fact, the only way that you will ever really deal with Jesus is if you deal with this claim that he makes. That This is the starting point. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're trying to figure out what do christians believe and would it ever be possible for me to call myself a christian listen this is the starting point jesus does not simply say you know what you can come to me as a teacher you can come to me as your moral example he says i am the host of this messianic banquet and i'm the one who is going to bring about this new creation cs lewis has this incredible quote from mere Christianity. And he says this. He says, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. intend to you know throughout the gospels jesus is saying time and time again look you either crown me or you kill me i am the host of this banquet i am the one who is going to bring about the consummation of all things the renewal of all things the one who will who will swallow up death who will wipe away every tear from your eyes Yeah, I love this when when the disciple or John's disciples come to Jesus in Luke chapter seven. Just a couple chapters earlier, they say to him, "Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else?" And you know what Jesus says to them? I mean, he says, "Go back and tell John that the blind see, and the lame walk, and the deaf hear, and that the dead are raised, and that good news is preached to the poor." What is he saying? Look. I am the host, and this party has started. It has begun, and it has begun with me. I am bringing it. And, you know, in, in, uh, for, for many of us, uh, you know, you hear this and you think, okay, well, gosh, how could this be? The party has started. I mean, Brent, you're talking about the, the, all things being made new. I mean, just look at our world. Look at my life. You know, look how broken it is. Look at, look at how much suffering that there is. Look at my family. Look at how broken that is. You know, I, I, can't, I can't see. I can't walk for some of us. And, you know, this is where Jesus, in so many ways, you know, he talks out of both sides of his mouth when he talks about his kingdom. He says things like, my kingdom is upon you. My kingdom has come. And then there's other times where he says things like, my kingdom is coming. My kingdom is at hand. And, you know, you, you've got to, you, this is so critical to understanding something about the, God's kingdom. It's almost like Christmas morning when you have young kids. And some of you do, and I can tell who you are because you look very sleepy right now. And you're worn out from yesterday because you had children who were waking you up at 5 a.m. saying, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it Christmas? And the answer is yes and absolutely not, right? Christmas is here, but you need to go back to bed because it is not time to get up and open presence yet. That's how the kingdom is. It's, it's yes, it is here. It has come. Jesus has brought it, but it will not come in full until he comes again. Jesus is saying, listen, I am the host. The party has started, and I have brought foretaste of it into this very world. But make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. I am the host. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us in this parable about himself. And the last thing is this. It's not just that the kingdom of God is a party and not just that uh, Jesus himself is a host. But Jesus wants us to understand something about how he relates to us as the host, how he relates to us. You know, I love this. Look at who comes to this party. Look at who comes to this feast. It's the poor. It's the crippled. It's the lame. It's the blind. It's, it's all of those who were on the social fringes in the first century, all of those who were marginalized, all of those who were outcast. Why? Why? Listen, when when you are on the outsides, you do not turn down the invitation to a party like this. You know why? Because you know that you have nothing to bring. You have nothing to offer at this party. It is not a potluck. I hate potlucks. I hate potlucks. Some of you love potlucks. I'm sorry. I don't don't mean to offend you. But listen, this is not a potluck. You know what this is? It's a lavish feast that this host says to you, listen, don't bring anything. You have nothing to add. This is a meal that I am making and preparing for you. Come and receive. You know, one of the ways that you know... That Jesus is dealing with you is when grace seems too good to be true. You ever think about that? Is that when grace seems too good to be true. You know, in, in verse 23, what does the, the host say to the servant? He says, go out and compel them to come in. They won't believe you. They won't believe that they're being, in, being invited to a party like this. They will not believe that they're being invited to a feast like this. One of the ways that you know that Jesus is really beginning to deal with you is when grace seems too good to be true. It doesn't make sense. A God who made all things, the heavens and the earth, who who sits over all of creation, who is ruling and reigning over all things, and who made you to flourish in relationship with him. And yet, in the midst of and despite all of your rebellion and all of my rebellion and all of your unbelief and all of my unbelief, says to you, come in. Come to this feast that I am making for you. Come and eat and drink and be filled. It it doesn't compute. That's why the gospel is good news. It's a God who reaches out to you even when you have turned away from him. Even when you have said to him, "I'm, I'm not coming. A God who has pursued you relentlessly. Who wants to feast with you? Who wants to sit at table with you, and dine with you, and eat with you, and drink with you in His new creation, because of what He has done in your behalf, not because of anything that you've done, not because of anything that I've done, but simply and solely through the person and work of Jesus. I had a student this semester who started coming to Ruf. His name's Brandon, and and Brandon came almost every week to Ruf, and. About one month ago, we were sitting down having lunch. Brandon's not a Christian. He didn't grow up in a Christian home. He'd never really encountered Christianity. And he said to me, you know, I've learned a new word in RUF, through RUF through this semester. He said, grace. I've, I've never heard anything like that. Grace. That is the gospel. It is about grace from first to last. God bringing you into this feast not because of your own efforts but because of the work of his own son in your behalf. You know, let me ask you, how are you responding to the host? Jesus Jesus talks in stories not so, simply so that we can kind of read them from afar, but because he's inviting us in to see ourselves. How are you responding to the host? How are you responding to Jesus? How are you responding to this lavish invitation that he has given to you. And, you know, some of you are here this morning and maybe you're refusing. I mean, you just, you just, it's not that interesting. The feast is not all that interesting to you. You know, and, and here in this passage, Jesus gives, and we don't have much time to go into it, but we get three examples of people who, who reject the host, who say, I'm not coming. And they're, they're, they're absurd. They're, they're actually very silly. And Jesus does this intentionally. I mean, think about this. The first says, you know, I've just bought some land, so I need to go and see it. Well, in an agrarian culture, you, you wouldn't buy land unseen. That doesn't make sense. You'd go and look at it before you bought it. Is it, is it good land? Can I use it? You know, and, and the second says, you know, I, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go and, and test them. I mean, that's, that's silly. You, you wouldn't buy oxen before you knew if they were actually good or not. And the third says, you know, I, I, I've just gotten married. Well, you know, you wouldn't RSVP to come to a party if you knew that you were getting married that day. I mean, it, what Jesus is saying, look, none of these excuses make sense. And the question is, is what is keeping you? What is keeping you from giving yourself to a God who has given himself for you? Yeah, and then others of us here this morning think think that we've actually accepted the invitation. You know, we have come into the feast. And here Jesus is sitting in the house of Pharisee who, whose assumption is, and and it's exactly what the man in verse 15 says, you know, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. The assumption is, is that I am in, I'm a part of this feast. And what's so unsettling about this parable is that what Jesus is saying is, look, all of those who think that they're in are not. And all of those who know that they shouldn't be in are in. In other words, you know, these Pharisees think that the way that you get into the feast is through your own moral performance, through your own obedience you know, through your own efforts, through your own morality, through your own religiosity. And the gospel says, look, it's not the religious that are in and the irreligious that are out. It's not the moral that are in and the immoral that are out. It's the humble that are in and the proud that are out. It's those who know they have nothing to bring to the feast. You know, and then many of us here this morning, you know, maybe maybe you're not rejecting this. Maybe you're not just kind of going on a false assumption that you've accepted you know the invitation to this kind of feast but for others of us you know if you've been around Christianity for a while maybe the place that you find yourself this morning is that you know the party seems boring grace has become believable for you and you know we went camping this summer and my 8-year-old son we we walked out uh and we Kind of live in the city, so you don't see stars, you know. And so here we are out in the middle of nowhere. And we walk out one night to look up at the sky. And we actually saw a shooting star. It was amazing. And you know, there's there's just thousands, thousands, thousands of stars that you can see. More stars than I've ever seen. And you know, he looked up and he just went, Wow. And then the next night, you know, we're sitting in the tent, and I said, William, let's go look at the stars. And we walk out, and he just looked up and he said, uh eh. It looks exactly like it did last night. That's a picture of how, you know, we can relate to the gospel sometimes. It grows too familiar. And you see, listen, friends, the way into the kingdom, the way into this feast is the way of the kingdom. It's the way of the feast. It's never forgetting the miracle of your own salvation, that God would bring someone like you and someone like me to feast with him, to dine with him in the new heavens and in the new earth, in this new creation. I read a story a couple years ago of um, this incredible wedding banquet. And the story is this, there was a woman who was engaged to be married. She and her fiance, they lived in Boston. They went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston. They picked out everything. They picked out You know, the invitations, they picked out the food, they picked out the china and the silverware, they picked out the flowers. Everything was picked out and paid for. The deposit was put down. And the day that the invitations went out, the the, the groom got cold feet, decided he couldn't do it, wasn't ready. She is devastated. She goes back to the Hyde Hotel to say, listen, my, my fiance has backed out. We're not getting married anymore. I need to get my money back. And the response to her was, we are so, so sorry. But our policy is we cannot give you your money back. So here she is, heartbroken, devastated, left at the altar. And what is she going to do? And this is, this is how the Boston Globe recounts the story. It seemed crazy, But the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a big blowout. Ten years before, this same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She had got back on her feet, found a good job, and set aside a sizable nest egg. Now she had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. And so it was that in June of 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party such as it had never seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. That's funny. Very, very wise. And sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. That warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizza off the cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens leaning on aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalks outside and instead sipped Champagne ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies late into the night. You know what that is? That is a picture of the kingdom of God, the kingdom has, that has come and been inaugurated with Jesus, but the kingdom that will come in full when Jesus, who has come once at Christmas, will come again to make all things new. And listen, Christian, You will feast with him. You will dine with him. You will sit at a banquet table with Jesus as he wipes the tears from your eyes, as he makes your bodies new, as he makes all things new. This is good news. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the hope that you speak in this word and into our lives. And we, we need your grace to believe that these things are true. Would you help us to have such a, a certain assurance that your kingdom has come, that you have brought it, and that you are bringing it in full? Would you help us to look so forward to the day when we will feast with you, when we will drink with you, that it would change our lives today. We pray all of this through Christ. Amen.